uh, use of words. And, of course, uh, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe the exact words that God wanted us to know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 3. 2 Corinthians 10, in verse number 3. Paul writes this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And he uses words here such as war and weapons and casting down and bringing into captivity to, I believe, try to bring across the importance of this struggle that we face every day with the issue of our minds or our hearts and how vitally important it is. And probably one of the most neglected and most least understood of the spiritual battles that we face every day is the battle for our minds. We are so encumbered by the things of this world, so entangled by them, so distracted by them, so um, I would call it, I I would maybe use the term uh, spiritual ADD, if you will, where uh, our minds that ought be set on the things of the Lord are so easily distracted, are they not, by the new next shiny thing that comes our way that draws our hearts, our minds away from the things of the Lord. The world is enticing this way, and that's why Paul also had written, "Love not the world." Or Peter had written, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him." And so we're to, we're to not love these things that God has uh, uh, told us we should not be loving. In fact, in Colossians, he says in verse chapter number three that we're to set our affection on things above. We're to seek those things which are above, uh, and we're not to be looking for these things that are on the earth. Uh, In the book of Matthew, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, uh, shared with them uh, to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. He said this at the end of all of that. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And uh, I want to just kind of reiterate where we left off last time, which which was the idea that we need to to understand. We We need to be consciously aware of the importance of the battle for our mind. Uh, if we don't look at it as something that's really all that important, it's not going to be something we're going to give all diligence to. And so we spent some time last week, dealing or two weeks ago, dealing with some ways to measure, uh, according to Scripture, what are some things that ought to be characteristic of a mind that is growing and maturing in the Lord Jesus. <coughs> the first one we came across was this one in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, that it will be a mind that desires to bring itself into captivity to the thoughts of the Lord Jesus, that we would be obedient. Our desire ought to be to be obedient to God's Word. Um, And we need to foster that. We need to fan the flames of that desire in our hearts. Because if we do not do so, if we don't stir those embers of desiring to be obedient to the Lord through His Word, and our hearts are not set on those things, if we're not giving diligence to those things, then rest assured the world will cool off that desire. It will cause us to get to the place where we become apathetic, where we'll become uh, blinded 
if you will, to the sinfulness of sin. We will lose how important it is that we obey what the Bible says. It will cause us to have ideas like, well, I know the Bible says this, but God knows my heart. That is no excuse, folks. We, we live in a world that fosters that in the lives and, and pushes that on the lives of Christians. And, and I don't know if you've noticed it as much in your lifetime as I have in mine, but I've seen, I don't know how many times, churches and, and Christian folks that were sincere, Bible-believing, loving the Lord, obeying the Lord, go down that road. And they changed over the years. And we live in a day now where even among some of what we call the quote-unquote good churches of our day, there is too, way, way too much accepting of sin and allowing it to go on. And I would say this, uh, there was a day when I, when I was appalled, and, and my parents I know were appalled, at how many times they saw churches and Christians become accepting to sin and I would say that the day that we're living in now, we have gone beyond be just, be just accepting sin to where now our churches and many Christians are actually celebrating and honoring sin. They're holding it up as a banner and as a badge of social acceptance that they just have come to a, 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 an, an, an enlightenment, if you will, of social acceptance on this thing of sin and that it's some kind of badge of honor to wear that they now celebrate sin. And can I tell you this? The Bible tells us we're to keep our hearts with all diligence. We're to bring into captivity. And, and Paul refers to it as a warfare. He refers to it as something that there needs to be some weapons that are not carnal. I mentioned two weeks ago, uh, there's things that um, if somebody came and tried to break into my house... I have ways to defend my family. I practice with it sometimes, not as often as I should, but I, I practice sometimes to do that. But this battle is not something that I can go to a, a gun range and, and practice my, my target practice. It's not something I can go to a, a, a hand-to-hand combat course and, and learn. It's not something I can go to the, the gym and work out and get stronger at. This is something that is an inward man issue, something that deals with the heart, the character And it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be something that we hold as as something that is very dear and cannot let it go. It's got to be something that we are diligent about, something we focus on, something that we set our minds to and say, Lord, I want to be this way. And so we said last week it's someone who has a desire to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Secondly, we said uh, it would be a mind that is a renewed mind. In Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, uh, the Bible talks about the fact that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I will say this, that there's a lot of people out here today and a lot of preachers, a lot of churches that are saying that the way that you are transformed is by turning over a new leaf. It's by living your best life now. It's by reading uh, Power of Positive Thinking books and self-help books and get out here and just, boy, you are somebody. And can I tell you, that is not transformation. That is conformation. Transformation is something that happens on the inside of the heart and works its way outwardly. And we made the statement two weeks ago that it is possible to be right on the outside, but to be rotten on the inside. But it is impossible. It is impossible to be right on the inside and to be rotten on the outside. And people that are living a life that is carnal and saying, but my heart is right. No, they're not. 
The Bible says that a pure fountain cannot give forth bitter water. A good tree cannot give off bad fruit. And while you may be able to put an outward exterior on like Pharisees did when Jesus said that outwardly they were clean and he gave them a commendation for what they were outwardly, but he condemns them for the inside, doesn't he? But it is impossible for the heart to be right and the outside not to match. And so you mark it down if we're struggling with things outwardly in our lives and living carnal lives, it's because we have not had our minds renewed. We haven't had our minds renewed. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. And we spent just a minute on this, and this was the last verse we used, and then we'll get into some new material here. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 17. In verse number 17, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17, he says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other generals, Gentiles walk, notice this, in the vanity of their mind. Their thoughts are, are vain, they are useless, they are worthless. Their, their, their thoughts are this way, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, what was the result of a darkened heart? What was the result of this blindness of their heart? The result of the blind heart was that they gave themselves over to do these unclean works. Lasciviousness, uncleanness, with greediness. Verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Wait a minute. That word learn means I'm putting something into my mind that wasn't there before, doesn't it? If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be, here it is, here it is, be renewed, and I love this, in the spirit of your mind. While he goes on to tell us in verse number 22 that this, this renewing is going to bring about not, not the old carnal nature like the, the blinded hearts are, But the renewing of our mind is going to bring about the putting off of the old man, the old conversation, that which was corrupt, that which was pursuing deceitful lusts, that that this knowledge of Christ that we gain is going to be something that will help us to live outwardly the way that we should. And he says it's going to happen in verse 23 by the renewed, by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. I will say this, that when it comes to doing God's will, according to the Scriptures, when it comes to being obedient to what God does, we don't find the very limit that He sets in Scripture of this is right here, but if you go that much further, you're now wrong. We don't stand here and say, I'm right. Because I've gone to the very letter of what he said and not an ounce more. 
that you, you missed the whole point. What Paul's dealing with here is that we obey in the spirit of our mind. Not just the letter of the law. If God tells me that something's wrong, I don't want to see how close I can get to it. In Christmas time, I, I came across some video clips. I was appalled. It gets worse every year. And I, I tuned into some this year of some of these mega churches around the country that put on Christmas programs in their church. I'm going to tell you, I've never seen anything more ungodly and devilish and sensual in my life than I did on one of these clips where it had the writhing of demon figures and flames flying up on the back of the wall and they actually had flames shooting up off of the platform and for 15 minutes rock music played and they writhed around and danced around on the floor and when they got done with the whole service, the pastor of the church, the senior, the man who led the church, let me say it that way, got up and he said, I will do everything short of sin itself to reach somebody with the gospel. Folks, we were never called to get as close to sin as we possibly could. We were called to be holy because He is holy. And one of these things that is just driving me insane in these days is how many churches and how many of God's people do not understand the importance of the battle of our minds. We become so accepting of things. We become so callous to things. And if God tells me there's a standard here, I don't want to get right there at the edge of that standard. I want to see the intent. I want to see the direction He's going and say, Lord, I see that. And I don't want to just be right there, right at the edge. If you say that, I want to stay so far away from it, there's not even a chance. I want to obey in spirit, not just the letter. That may cause us to have some standards in our lives personally that are higher than Scripture. Nothing wrong with that. Now, I don't think you impose that on someone else and say they're wrong if they don't have it. I think that becomes wrong. But there's nothing that the Bible says that we can't have a higher standard. That we don't put some safeguards in place. That we don't have some things there. Because I don't know about you, my, my, my flesh nature, it still gets the best of me sometimes. And there's times, no matter how much my standard is this, I step over that line. And if it's right at the edge of wrong... I don't want it there. I want a standard in my life that in that moment of weakness, when my flesh steps over that line, I'm still okay according to God's Word. I want there to be a buffer there. I want there to be something there that's different. And When Paul says this in verse number 20, "...but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard by Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. A mind that is maturing in the Christian life, one that is growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, is one that seeks to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. In Psalm 1 and verse number 2, if you'd like to turn there, most of you can quote it. He begins the psalm by saying, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He gives three, three things that we don't walk in. The counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate 
day and night. In Joshua chapter number 1, in verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Both of these verses deal with the fact that a person whose heart is maturing is going to have a desire to read and to meditate and to absorb and to saturate his life with the Word of God. To meditate upon it, in both cases, day and night. It's the thing that we think about as we go through our day. In the book of Psalm 119, I believe it's 105, if I remember the verse correctly, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Not only does the Bible show me where I am, but it also illuminates where I should be going. And if I am meditating on the Word of God throughout my day, then I am asking the Lord, Lord, use the things from Your Word to direct my steps all day long. You ever noticed how hard it is to sin when you're quoting Scripture, when you're reading Scripture, when you're thinking about Scripture? It's kind of hard. You know how hard it is to make an unwise decision when you're reading about Scripture, thinking about Scripture, thinking about the things of the Lord? We oftentimes live a defeated Christian life and an unsuccessful Christian life simply because we don't take heed to the Bible when it tells us that we should be meditating in it day and night. It ought to be that which we love. It ought to be that which we cherish. It ought to be that which we thrive upon. I would use the word feasting upon it each and every day. I'm amazed over the years how many times in my life I would get done with a day of busyness and work and realize I did not have time at all to read my Bible today. And it would shock me sometimes. And, and there, there are so many times, I, as a youth pastor, I would ask my young people every year, we did a survey at the end of the year, and we'd ask them some questions, and I did not have them put their names on it. I wanted them to be truthful and honest with me about their answers. And I asked, the, the, one, of the, one of the same questions every year was, do you try to read your Bible every day? And I know that if I said, do you read your Bible every day, that's... They could say no, and it may have been only one day that year they missed. But I wanted to know if they had a heart, if they had a desire to. Do you make an attempt? Is it your desire to read your Bible every single day? I was shocked at how many Christian young people being raised in Christian homes, in Christian schools, who said no. Then I had another question on there, and this one shocked me even more. Do your, does your family have time? Daily to read the Bible together as a family. In Christian families, some of them staff kids, they said no. You know the lack of reading Scripture on a regular basis is probably one of the most forsaken things in the lives of Christians. We go to good churches. We carry the right Bible. We sing the hymns. We, we talk about the Scriptures a lot. We love the Scriptures a lot. We claim we do. But then we're so busy and so enamored with the things of this world. And I think Satan knows that if he can get God's people away from God's Word, he can get their minds 
He can get their minds. If I want to be successful in the Christian life, Joshua, he, he promised to Joshua, he said, Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In Psalm 1, in verse 3, it says, The man that will meditate day and night, in verse 3, it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. <coughs> and then we scratch our heads and wonder, Pastor, why am I struggling in the Christian life? Why am I having such a difficult time overcoming some of these things? Number, whatever we're on. <clears throat> I think it's number four. Number one was we should have a heart that desires to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Number two, we need to have a mind that desires to be renewed in spirit and in truth. Number three, we need to meditate on the law of God, the Word of God, day and night. Our minds need to be thinking. Well, number four, <clears throat> when our mind is what it should be, it will desire to have purity and a good conscience. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. There's sometimes that as a preacher we preach on subjects that, and I've made the statement before sometimes, a preacher shouldn't have to preach to Christians. It ought to just be normal. Why in the world... Should any person ever have to tell a Christian that they ought to think on things that are pure things? It should come as a given, shouldn't it? Uh, look in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, if you will. And Paul is speaking to Timothy here. He says in verse number 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a what? Pure heart and of a what? Good conscience and of what? Faith unfeigned. It's not a it's not a outward facade. You're not putting on some kind of a show. But there's an actual desire and sense of a clean heart and purity in the life of a Christian, and it's not something that is just an an outward effort. It's something that begins by protecting the mind. Making sure the mind is pure. Making sure the heart is pure. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says what? The mouth speaketh, doesn't it? What goes in this heart will eventually come out on the outside. Purity. A good conscience. Faith unfeigned. This is how our minds should be. And so... Number four, a mind that is maturing, a mind that is growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is one that desires things that are pure, things that will lend itself to a clean conscience. Those are the things we have appetites for. Those are the things we long for in our lives. And we lay these truths alongside our life. Let me rephrase that. The truths are there. They don't move. We lay our lives alongside these truths. And we ask the question, how do I measure up? Are there things that are not pure in this world? I'm not talking about necessarily just immorality as far as 
sexual impurity. I'm talking about things that are impure according to God's Word. That could be any type of impurity. Are there things that my soul, my flesh craves that I allow my mind and my heart to indulge in that are not pure things? It's not the way a Christian's mind should be. And, and, and I'll say this, and I've said this, and I said this at the onset two weeks ago, that the, the sins of our minds are the most common sins in Christians because nobody else sees them. And while we can preach a message like this, and, and, and while we can speak on these things, the only one that can change your, your, your heart and your mind is God Himself in communion with you submitting your will to Him. I can't make you have a pure mind. You can't make me have a pure mind. You can't see my mind. I don't see yours. But that doesn't make it any less important that we guard our minds, that we protect our minds, that we allow our minds to be grown and strengthened and directed by God and His Word. And only as I yield and submit myself to Him, and I bring that old flesh nature into captivity, and I say, you're not going to think these things. You're not going to go this direction. I want the things of the Lord to be paramount in my life. Only as we do those things will He be able to enable us and help us to do those things. So number four, we need to have a mind that desires purity, a clean heart, and a good conscience. Number five, in Philippians chapter number four, just back a few pages. Philippians chapter number four. In fact, I'm just going to, before I go on to Philippians 4, let me read you, I didn't give you this one, but uh, a second verse for the last one we just did is um, uh, 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Let them that call, let them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So the one that has a pure heart is one that's going to flee those youthful lusts, and they're going to follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace within the call of the Lord. Second Timothy chapter two, verse number twenty-two. If you want to write that one down for the last one as well, I should have given you that, and I got ahead of myself there. All right, number five, Philippians chapter four, verse number seven. Philippians chapter four, verse number seven. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds, through Christ Jesus. I would say this, number five, another measuring mark of a heart that has grown and matured in the Christian life is one that is at peace. It is at peace. That peace is what will help keep that heart and that mind there. We're living in a world that is full of anxiety. It is full of anxiety. There's not an unsaved person out there that does not have a a life that has some fear. There's confusion. There's anger. There's hatred. There's variance. There's double-mindedness. There's doubt. There's discouragement. There's weakness. There's all kinds of things going on in the minds of the world. But a Christian whose heart is stayed upon God, a Christian whose heart is maturing on the truth of His Word, 
is one that is marked and characterized by a heart that is at peace. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to lay your head in the pillow at night. And though there have been many cares of the day that have burdened our lives, to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. As our hearts mature, as they become saturated and rooted in obedience to God's Word, as it seeks after purity and holiness and righteousness, as it seeks to have a life of a good conscience, can I tell you, there is no substitute for the wonderful, wonderful peace that it brings. That's why a Christian can go through such persecution and rejoice. That's how martyrs could go to the stake and endure unbelievable physical torments and look up to the eyes, their eyes, lift up their eyes to heaven with glory on their faces and a prayer of praise upon their lips because there was a peace that kept their hearts and kept their minds. Are we double-minded? Are we easily swayed? If we are, then our hearts are still immature. They're still babes in Christ. They've not grown to maturity. They've not established themselves and rooted themselves heart that is at peace with God is a heart that is matured. Hebrews chapter 10, number 6. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews 10 and verse number 22, the writer of Hebrews writes this, Let us draw near with a true heart. Well, I like that one, don't you? A true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without, favor, without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Can I tell you this, that... A true heart, a mature heart, a heart that has grown, is one that has strong faith and absolute assurance in the faithfulness of God. Not only do we have faith of ourselves, but we have absolute assurance to the faithfulness of God. I'm saved because I have put my faith in a promise that Jesus gave to me. I've taken Him at His word. I've believed Him. I've said, I'm trusting what you said, Lord, to give me a home in heaven and forgive me of my sins. But my faith is dependent on the fact that I have to trust Him to be faithful. That He's not going to go back on what He said. That He's not going to be wrong or incorrect on what He said. A heart that is maturing and growing in the Christian life is one that's going to be full of assurance. 
We're not going to be going around half the time wondering, boy, I sure hope this whole thing is true. I, I sure hope I'm saved. No, no. There's an assurance. There's a, there's a steadiness there. There's a steadfastness there. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. The songwriter wrote it this way, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. A heart that is matured is a heart that doesn't waver in his faith. It's one that is steadfast. He stands in full assurance of faith. Then I'm going to give you this last one, and we're going to, this is our last passage we'll go to. Philippians chapter 4. It's one verse, but boy, is it packed full. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. You say, how in the world do I get my heart, how do I get my mind to be mature and to meet these measurements that Scripture gives? Aren't you glad when the Bible doesn't just tell you what to do, but it tells you actually how to accomplish it? I'm glad it does. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 tells us how we can accomplish this. Are you ready? Here it is. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, that's a good one. Whatsoever things are honest, there's another good one, isn't it? Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So how do I get my mind, Pastor, to mature and have these characteristics that the Bible speaks of? I just got to follow that pattern right there. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Now, let me ask you a question because Charles Spurgeon made this statement one time. He said, the message begins when the application begins. So let's ask a question. If I were to take and write this verse on a 4 by 6 card in black Sharpie marker, and I were to tape it on the monitor of my computer or on the television in my house. And every time I looked at that, I read that verse. Would it change what I look at on there? If I wrote that card, and in my car on my radio station, I taped it right across the radio player. When I got ready to turn that radio on, and I read that verse. Would it change what I listened to? If I took that card and I walked over to the bookshelf in my house, taped it on my bookshelf where I have books and periodicals and literature that I read. If I were to read that card before I read anything on that shelf, would it change what I would read. How about on my cell phone? 
How about on my texting? How about on my Facebook page? How about when I got ready to go out with my friends and acquaintances? Would it change what I did? Are our minds, are are they something that we understand are the most important battle we face day by day? And yet we give such little heed to it. We protect our children from things. We protect even our pets from things. When was the last time we protected our minds from things? When was the last time, as Paul said, we brought every thought into captivity? To the obedience of Christ. It's an easy truth to understand. I will tell you this it will be the most difficult truth we'll ever have to live. Would it make a difference? We've got one more subject, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. I hope these have been helpful. But when we take these truths and we lay our life alongside of them, the question I've asked all along on this, and I'm going to tell you right now, as I've done the study, your pastors had to make some changes. There's things I've had to look at my life and say, boy, I didn't measure up there. The question I've asked our folks to ask is this, how do I measure up? When it comes to this truth of God's Word, these things that He tells us this, this is what ought to be, in a Christian's life. How do I measure up to it? Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, sometimes these messages are... They're there. They have to be preached. We have to look at them. We, we know they're there. And the truth is...